0: Hey y'all, today's episode is a throwback to some of our earlier episodes. And this episode is focused on the practice of taking a founder's retreat or an entrepreneur's retreat. And I have been practicing our retreat, which is a really specific way of doing a set aside time away from the day-to-day routine of your life a couple times a year for the last 10 or 15 years. And it's been one of those foundational practices that I think really helps establish mental health clarity and can really change the tone of your both personal and professional life. So we reached way back in the Zen Founder archives to bring out an old episode that really outlines the details of how to take an entrepreneur's retreat. If this is something that captures your attention, a few years ago, I put out a little guide to retreats, which is both on the Zen Founder website and on Gumroad, can be easily downloaded and accessible if you want to do a deeper dive in what retreats look like and how they can help really serve your personal and professional intentions and goals. Welcome to the Zen Founder Podcast. This is a place where we have conversations about mental health and entrepreneurship. We have a pretty broad conceptualization of what mental health means, sometimes depression, anxiety, sometimes relationships or physical health. The goal here is to bring some calm into the crazy roller coaster of ups and downs that is life for many entrepreneurs. I'm your host, I'm Dr. Sherry Walling. I'm a clinical psychologist and an entrepreneur, married to an entrepreneur, live in the world of entrepreneurs, and I'm so pleased that you have joined us for this conversation.
1: Our topic for today is retreats. We're going to be talking about taking short retreats to refocus you and to get some perspective and to help you shape the way you're thinking about the next six to 12 months. The thing about going
2: a lot deeper, I'll give you an example. I got this off of James Altucher. He says he sits down every day and writes down 10 ideas focused on one topic I decided to, to start doing that. What I found that was interesting was that I'll write down three ideas or four ideas and they're generally what I consider my best ideas, kind of easy to come up with. Then it starts to get harder. Generally, whenever I'm doing goal setting or even thinking of how to solve a problem, I'll do this the same thing and then kind of stop at that point. The reason that I stop at that point is because I've written all my best ideas.
0: You've kind of picked all the low hanging fruit
2: right so then whatever's left can't be that good in forcing myself to, to do this i noticed that are a few ideas then the stuff that i come up with a couple more ideas aren't that great so then there comes a point where i'm just stuck i'm like okay i can't, I can't think of anything that's it so then i have to really think deeply about that topic to mm. come up with the rest of the ideas interestingly enough Almost every time that I do that, one of those last few ideas, at least one of them, sometimes two, is actually a really good idea. It's different. It's something that I normally wouldn't think of. It forces me to see the problem in the way that I I normally
0: don't see it. So the depth really changes your perspective and you have to source through some of that middle material that's neither obvious nor deep in order to get to the to the deeper stuff.
2: I definitely had a lot of that
1: during during the retreat. Welcome to the Zen Founder Podcast. I'm Rob, the founder.
0: And I'm Sherry, the clinical psychologist. And we've come together to help founders and their families stay sane while starting up.
1: Each week, we'll talk about different ways to work well, stay emotionally and physically healthy, and stay connected to the people that you care about.
2: I run a small SaaS company, software company. It's uh, called Bidsketch, and it's uh, web proposal software for freelancers, consultants, and agencies.
0: Last year, you took your first planned retreat. Would you, would you tell me a little bit about it, what you did, where you went?
2: I went to Idaho, Lake Coeur d'Alene. I took my notepad and uh, pencil, went there with, with a couple of questions that I wanted to answer few goals that I wanted to set both for the business and personal side. And just sat down and thought through them, came away with some good goals and took the time to think about some of the problems or obstacles that I've had in a different way, just because I was able to spend more time on it than I had in the past.
0: What were the questions that you asked yourself?
2: A couple of the questions that I was asking myself was, I think at the time we were planning on staying in Spokane, that's where I live now, until we adopted again because we wanted to move to Portland or Seattle. So one of the questions was, should we do that first or should we wait to adopt and then do that? But waiting to adopt would sort of delay that for a pretty long, long time. So that was one of the questions. The other one was a little bit more broad, just am I taking enough risks, am I enough new things? And I kind of had those those questions about risk and new things on the business side as well.
0: How was it different from previous experiences of goal planning?
2: This time around, I just got to spend a lot more time and go much deeper and also thought about personal goals as well.
0: So it sounds like one of the things that you took away from that time was a different or a unique perspective on some of the questions that you had that, that you wouldn't have gotten to perhaps in a shorter amount of time.
2: Right. So that was a really big deal. The other, the other part was just the questions about taking enough risk. During my normal goal planning session, I wouldn't have come up with those questions to, to try to answer, right? Because I'm focused more on business goals and what do I want to accomplish? I thought initially that two days was going to be too much time. Yeah, it was crazy once I started doing it. I found that two days was barely enough. Once I started going, I just had so much stuff to process and think through and so many different scenarios to go through that it was good that I took two days.
0: I think it does give you space to ask those existential questions about risk, both in your personal life and your professional life. Those are big questions. They take more time.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So now that it's been about a year since that retreat, have you seen the effects of taking that time away? Have you seen that kind of filter through into your life over the last year?
2: I feel like there's been a lot more movement this year. Like I've done bigger stuff, taken bigger risks, made bigger changes. So I can definitely see the impact of that. So with like the moving question, I made that more of a priority. And even though we haven't done that yet, I've been working on that. And it's just been a longer process. We actually just got an offer accepted in a house. So finally happening.
0: Congratulations. Thanks. The priorities that you set on your retreat have taken shape in your life. You are acting on them. You're working on them.
2: On the business side, one of them was I'd, I had one employee at the time Everyone else was a contractor. So one of the questions also was, what are the big obstacles, my biggest obstacles to accomplishing those goals? And one of them was uh, speed of development, releasing features. For several reasons, working with contractors was starting to become more of a problem. But I'd held back hiring developers as employees and growing my Team, because because of fear during the retreat, I really thought that through, and I just came to realize that it's my team. I can build it how I want.
0: It doesn't have to be an obstacle,
2: right? So I did that about a month ago. Made made an offer to the second Rails developers, so another two. It's working out great.
0: So you're getting ready to do another retreat here in the next couple of months. What kinds of questions are you going to ask this time?
2: So one of them has to do with the retreat or the goal planning itself. Doing more frequent sort of reviews, where I am, how everything is going, how I want that to take shape. There are a lot of new goals that I can set. I want to learn how to do these two or three new skills. I want to make sure I'm exercising all the time, meditating. I feel like I'm doing a lot already. So it's it's more about like picking the things that are most important to me, making sure that I'm that I'm doing that. And on the business side, thinking through what went wrong, what are the things that went right, and what changes I need to make to just grow more next year.
1: The first question that will probably come across your mind as you listen to us talk about retreats is why should I take one? Why should I take time away from my family, away from my work? And away from the other important things I'm doing to take a couple days and go somewhere and be alone and think. What's the importance of that? And for me and for the people, the startup founders who I've talked to who do this, it is an amazingly focusing time. It is a time that, that reshapes the way I think about the coming year. And it allows me to plan out what I'm going to be doing over the next year and be very certain about that plan and not feel like I'm bouncing around trying to make choices of what to do and what to fit in. And it also, perhaps most importantly, it shows me what I'm going to say no to over the next 12 months. It's anything that's not on my plan unless I reevaluate it. And so this retreat time is the time where I spend a lot of, of focused energy just thinking through things that I don't have time to think through the rest of the year
0: I think retreats, they sound like a really simple thing. Like you're going to go away for a couple of days and we'll walk you through all of the things that we have learned about how to take a retreat and how to use that time really well. I can't overstate how important they've been in in our lives, maybe most particularly in my life, in that it's a time to really think about not only your goals and plans for the coming year, but really the state of your life. So I think we want to make the distinction that retreats are not a timeout. This is not vacation. This is not stepping away from life to purely relax or just veg. Retreats are a time in. They're a very focused time to do some internal reflection and to step more deeply into the direction of your life and your business than you have time to do in your your normal day-to-day life.
1: You use the term time in for that, you know, meaning it, it's time where you are in your work and you become immersed in it. I think that's a good distinction for, for folks to think about in that this really is uh, more work time than vacation. So let's give a little bit of structure to this. If you're listening, you're probably thinking, how, how long should a retreat be? How should I structure it? Where should I go? What should I do to prepare? And that's the kind of stuff we're going to talk about today. We actually have it broken down into each of those areas. Uh, I want to kick us off by talking about the duration or the length of a retreat. Obviously, you could take a retreat for any length of time. And so the most effective duration that we found is is 48 hours and it's basically to take two days and that gives you two nights to get a lot of sleep and two days to really think about this stuff. And when you go on a retreat, it should be alone, totally solo, no family, no kids, no friends. You need to feel like you have plenty of time to make the retreat successful. The optimal duration that we found is 48 hours. It's a, it's a two-day retreat. Obviously, you could go longer, but that allows you ample time to feel like you have enough time to really dive into this stuff. Anytime you get distracted, if you go back and check email, or if you have, get in a conversation with someone about something else, it pulls you out of that retreat, and you have to get back into it. You have to get back into the thinking process and the mindset. You just don't want someone else around to distract or to drive the agenda. You need to be completely in charge of where you are, what you're thinking about. To be honest, just being silent is um, is kind of the the focus of it. So bringing other people with you is not you know not something that's going to benefit that.
0: And 24 hours is just too short because most retreats begin with this debriefing period or a time when you're just stepping away from the rhythm of your life and the energy with which you normally approach your day. And you may need to spend a few hours just sitting in silence or walking around, not really thinking about anything, not really doing the retreat yet, just relaxing, just cleansing from the busyness of your day to day life. Usually when I go on retreats, I sleep for like 12 hours the first night and just allow time to do whatever you feel like doing so long as it's about rest and restoration and clearing your mind. It's a good time to practice some mindfulness or some meditation. When I do retreats, I drive two and a half hours over to the coast. During that drive, that's a drive that is usually done in silence. So no music or podcasts or audiobooks. And it's a really interesting thought experiment to just notice what thoughts are coming into my mind during that amount of time and kind of keep track of the things that I'm worried about or are pulling my mind in specific directions. Not necessarily follow those thought paths down where they want to take me, but just noticing what's preoccupying me. That exercise alone gives me some really good information into what I'm worried about and what I may need to spend some time really thinking through in a more focused way during the retreat.
1: Yeah, I do something similar because I'm, you know, I'm Captain audiobook or podcast. I always have an earbud in my ear and I'm listening to stuff. But when I do the drive, because I also go to the coast, pretty much in silence and I'm pretty much, I have a, my Moleskine notebook next to me. And I know that's totally dangerous and I shouldn't be doing that while I'm driving. But I I do try to to hash out what are the big questions that I'm going to be asking. I think we'll get into this a little more, uh, a couple sections is like the structure, right? What questions to ask and how to think about them and that kind of stuff. But this is that preparation step of starting to enter this mindset of like, I am going to A, be totally silent. I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to listen to music. I'm not going to listen to anything else. And I'm going to let my mind think about work essentially and personal life. Don't get me wrong. This part is, this part's actually fun because you're just coming up with things. A retreat is, I'll say it's, it's hard work. Like you have to be focused and you have to allow yourself time to sit there and be silent and allow your thoughts to fill the space.
0: It's a really different mental discipline. You know, most of us are really used to multitasking. You know, we've got multiple things going on and we're constantly interrupted. And so many people play it pretty fast in terms of what they're responding to with their brains. So the practice of slowing down and being quiet and being focused is very effortful. It takes a lot of energy, but it's a very different energy that most of us are using in our, on a regular basis.
1: Yeah. And I I think I would say, don't be worried if you go on a retreat, if you spend three hours just trying to decompress and, and with no progress, because that takes this time to kind of pull away from the day to day. At one point, I found myself in a coffee shop just staring at, at my Moleskine notebook for hours, and I, I kind of started feeling like I was judging myself, you know, of like, well, I'm not getting anything done. But that is the start of it. You know, if you do that for the whole 48 hours, it's not productive. But if you do that for four, five, six hours, th- you are entering into that that thought process that's going to get the good work done. And so... I love being in a coffee shop, sipping chai, thinking, watching people. And you're, you're really just trying to get that day-to-day stuff out of your head.
0: I think it's important to choose a location that facilitates that kind of process. So you and I both go to the coast because it's an area that we love, that we're we're familiar with. It's relaxing. There's something to look at. There's places to walk without it being too stimulating. I think it would be really hard to do a retreat in downtown San Francisco or New York, yeah. unless you were kind of cloistered away in a, in a monastery or a hotel, and you weren't really out experiencing a lot of stimulation. And so it's important to choose a location that does facilitate rest for you.
1: Yeah, I think, it, I think the three ideals are beach, forest, or desert. And it's up to you. You know, what? which th- of those three really resonates with you?
0: For people on a budget, particularly many Catholic churches have monasteries where they, you know, they host people who are doing retreats. And usually it's very simple accommodations, but they're usually very affordable and work perfectly well for this kind of arrangement. And there's some beautiful ones, like there's one in Big Sur. So you don't necessarily have to go to a fancy hotel or rent a house or something. There are ways to do this very, very affordably.
1: I think the key here is to get out of town, get away from your house, get away from town. You don't want to run into people you know. The other thing is there's kind of this, a thing that you and I have adopted, which is to try to be screen free if possible. So I actually, I do bring my iPad, but I do not bring my laptop. And so I will bring an iPad with a little keyboard that attaches to it if I want to take some notes. But realistically, I I bring this Moleskine notebook and it's the you know it's one of the little ones, little with the black cover, and I bring a nice pen. And that's where I take my notes. Um, the iPad is purely just a backup, and maybe if I wanted to check some email if I really, really needed to, but I would actually encourage you not to.
0: I think that's a little thing that is really important. The further you get away from your normal day to day work process, the more your mind is free to wonder and is able to break out of the typical patterns that you think in. So Rob uses his notebook, which is a place for creative thought. I actually bring a big roll of butcher paper and a bunch of pens and I roll it out on the floor of wherever I'm working and work in this very non-linear, colorful, kind of random way. But it does allow me to get my thoughts down in, in a way where I'm not bound by the structure of a screen and a three-point outline. It's a very nonlinear, but that works for me when I'm doing this kind of thinking.
1: Right. And mine winds up being a little more linear. It's black, black ink on white paper in a notebook, you know, and it's bullet points. And then I will do some brainstorming typically and take some notes for a couple pages. Then I will have this summary page at the end that is kind of my, and I'll put at the top, like my takeaways retreat 2014. And I'm trying to get to some things that I'm willing to commit to. You know, that's, that's really my goal. I'm a fairly like, goal-oriented person in general. And so I'm, tra- I'm thinking, like, what are the three or four statements that I am going to go all out for this year and that I'm going to say no to other opportunities in order to do these things? And I typically try to have, let's say, three, between three and five professional things. And then I'll often have uh, one or two personal things that I want to improve in my life over the next year.
0: You're looking at the future and working backwards. You're looking at your goals and figuring out what you need to do in order to reach them over the next year or a certain time frame. My retreats are a little bit more back to front. When I began to do them, I particularly viewed them as a general check-in about the status of my life. So I use very simple questions where I look back over the year and simply ask, what have I loved? What has been life-giving? What are my high points? And then I ask, what sucked? What did I not like this year? What, what took life from me? I use that data to look forward. So looking at the really sweet spots in my life and asking, how can I step further into that this year? Or how can I do more of that? How can I grow in that area? And then looking at the parts of my life that I didn't like and asking, can I eliminate this part of life? And if I can't, is there a way that I can make it better or a way that I can feel differently about it?
1: Yeah. And I, I'm actually looking through my notebook now and I have some things from my retreat at the end of 2012, at the top of the page it says looking ahead to 2013. And then I have a couple personal goals, run two times a week, take some vocal lessons, question mark. And uh, you know, that's kind of personal improvement and then have at least one experience per day that the kids will remember one memorable experience per day with each of my kids and then professional goals. I have some very specific things like launch three video courses and I have some months mapped out. I say 2.5x Hittail, which is one of my apps. And I I spent a lot of time thinking about how I was going to accomplish those, how much time they would take if they are reasonable. I didn't just throw out 2.5x. I looked at the current revenue. I literally mapped it forward and thought, what is an ambitious but achievable goal for that? Those are the kind of things that I take away. And I typically make at least one substantial change to the way I work right when I return. It's typically the implementation of like a, a new to-do system or figuring out how to outsource email or how to spend less time on email. Or it's a refocusing of like, okay, if I'm going to get hit, Tail, or Drip to this specific place by, you know, the end of the year, what are the steps to get there? And I start mapping those out. And, and when I return, I just start implementing. And it's a big, for me, it's a big motivator to know where I'm headed and what are the most important things for the whole year. You know, there's, it's a short list, but if you don't do this, I know for me, I find that I wander during the year and I don't know what to say yes to. I don't know what to say no to. I don't know what, where to spend my energy. And that's what, what this retreat brings me away is this list of like, these are my non-negotiables for the next 12 months.
0: And I usually choose a theme for the year as cheesy as that sounds, but I, I did one retreat where I looked back at all the high and low points of my year. And I realized that consistently my low point was feeling frustrated or angry. Can you tell I have small children? And I really wanted to change that. And so my theme this last year has been calm and I have been very committed to my yoga practice and exercise and things that help me become more calm. And so that's, that's what I'm working on. That's who I'm becoming this year. And there have been other years where I've chosen a different theme and it's just totally shaped my priorities for the year. If you really take retreats seriously and figure out how to do them well for you, for who you are, it is a decision point. It, it should be a time when you really honor what you've done as you've stepped away from your normal life and really thought about what you're needing and what you're wanting and where you want to go and how you want to live. And then to seriously make decisions based on that information. I was working as a tenure track professor and then went on a retreat. And as I looked at the things that were not working well for me in my life. I realized that many of them had to do with the function of that job, faculty meetings and grading and and things that were part of the job but I just didn't like it. It took a couple of months, but I resigned from that job and and changed the focus of my career based on the retreat and it was the best decision I could have made to really listen to what was working well and what wasn't and then acting on it.
1: Yeah, and a couple of years ago for me, I made the decision to Acquire hittail or acquire an app, and I said, I'm going to acquire an app in the next year. I made a very big decision about starting to build a new app which became drip at a retreat, and I said, I'm going to commit to this. I know it's a big time investment, but here's how I'm mapping my year out, and I give a lot of thought to it. I've every year also made the decision not to write another book, and I always mull it over. It's always on the list, and each year I make a very deliberate decision not to do it even though I really want to but I don't have the time. But you know what that does? It makes me feel okay about not doing it. I don't I don't have this big list of things that I unrealistically think I should be doing and then spend the whole year saying, "Oh, I really should be writing this book. I really should be writing this book." I actually intentionally exclude it from the list of of things that I have to do. It's on my honorable mentions list or my boy if I have time, you know, I'll do it. Those are the kind of really career-altering decisions I've made as well. And I think you can go into the retreat. Like sometimes you know that you have a big decision to make. Like should I sell my app? You know, you're, you're thinking about selling something or should I acquire something? Or should I take on a partner? Should I take on investment? If those things are already on your mind, these are good questions to mull over. Even if you don't have any of those big turning points or those big decision points to make, You know, if you take that first three, four hours and just be quiet and let your mind speak, these types of questions will come up and it will become clear what types of things you need to be thinking about over the next 48 hours. And something you said earlier that I think is really important is you said to take this seriously and to make decisions based on what you find. I take it so seriously. It shapes my entire next 12 months. I don't just make decisions like I base my schedule and my goals and, and everything on on these retreats. And I realize that sounds like a lot of pressure. And it sounds like you might get out there and crack under the pressure, you know, and not be able to, to define that whole year. Can I really commit to these things that I'm putting on this list? But it's never been an issue. And if you set out to actually commit to the things that you're, you know, you're putting forth in this retreat, it'll be worth it. Everyone who we've talked to, all the founders who are, who have done retreats that we've spoken with, not one of them has said they regretted it. And in fact, some people that I talked to were saying, yeah, I'd like to do it twice a year.
0: It's amazing how much clarity you find when you focus. So even though it feels like a lot of pressure, I'm going to decide my whole life this weekend. It's amazing how, how actually easy it is to do that and be pretty pretty wise and pretty spot on about your decision making because you are so focused.
1: Yeah, I agree. I've been surprised. It's weird to think that you can look out 12 months and be fairly accurate or have an, at least have a realistic depiction of what you can and can't get done. Um, but it, it seems to happen every year for me.
0: One of the things that I have done is keep track of my notes from year to year. So I make my big crazy looking butcher paper of ideas and thoughts. And I, after I leave my retreat... Well, I take a picture of it, but then after I leave my retreat, I'll I'll put that into a Google spreadsheet. And so I can see from year to year the kinds of things that I was thinking about, the kinds of things that I found life-giving or, or draining. And then I can sort of track my goals over, over time and see how I'm doing year by year. And that's really interesting too, to have like five years of retreat data to look at about your life and realize, okay, I'm still thinking about that problem, but also to see the amazing changes that can happen when you take yourself seriously, take seriously how you feel about what's happening in your life.
1: I do the same thing. You know, I have them all in, in a couple of different notebooks and I will go back and, and peruse them. I also talk about them. We have a goals episode in, in my other podcast, Startups for the Rest of Us, and we do that towards the end of the year. And I'm able to talk about them publicly. And then we revisit the previous year's goals in these goals episodes to see, you know, how well did we live up to that? and stuff that came out of the retreat. So. Mm. so I guess to kind of wrap us up, this is something that's worth a try, even if you're skeptical. You know, if you've, if you've listened to this and you think this is probably going to be a waste of time, I challenge you to take 48 hours and try it just once. Listen to this podcast right before you do it and try to sketch out some ideas and some questions and give it that 48 hours of, of silence and, and being away from email and being away from your day-to-day life. My guess is that you will start making it an annual event.
0: If you'd like to go a little deeper with this topic, we've put together a brief article and a worksheet to help you think through your own retreat, and that is available to those who sign up for our mailing list at zenfounder.com/retreat.
1: Welcome to the Zen Founder Podcast. I'm Rob, the founder.
0: And I'm Sherry, the clinical psychologist. And we've come together to help founders and their families stay sane while starting up.
1: Each week, we'll talk about different ways to work well, stay emotionally and physically healthy, and stay connected to the people that you care about.
0: Well, I think it'd be I think it'd be helpful just sort of do a little maybe update on... Our lives, things that we're interested in, things that are going on right now. And you, of course, are getting ready to go on your second annual, the second retreat of this year, Yeah. however, however that is said.
1: That's right. Yeah. And this one came up kind of all of a sudden, because last weekend I was saying, I feel frustrated and I feel like I have a bunch of things to think <laughs> through. And you're like, why don't you just leave next weekend, take two, two and a half days and go sort some stuff out. We've always said that we wanted to do two retreats a year. And I feel like that's the right pacing for me personally is to do the big, major goal visioning and everything in kind of December, January, and then revisit all of that in June and make sure that the ship is still headed in the right direction and adjust as needed.
0: And you are almost exactly six months after your last retreat. So you're right.
1: right on schedule. Yep. Yeah and I feel this every year about 6 months after I start feeling like hey am I still am I still on track do I still want to do those things am I there's a lot to think about and it actually coincides with kind of a shift that's happening with my role at my company so we can maybe get into that in a couple minutes I know we have some other stuff to talk about first
0: Yeah it's a good time to go away I agree
1: So you suggested that we talk about some stuff that we like right now, things that we're into that we've discovered in the last month or two that we think other folks might be interested as well. The funny thing is, is we kind of talked about it as like technology ideas that we could share or something. And it turns out all four of them are, in essence, some way to shop and buy stuff. (laughs) I, I think that's a little embarrassing.
0: A little bit. But I will say that actually all of the things that I have been into lately are about simplicity and reduction. That's right. And are about reusing things that have some more life in them. So it's not as materialistic as it sounds at first approach.
1: It's actually not buying stuff. It's more like renting stuff, right? We're moving towards this this shared model that they've been talking about for years, like with Uber, how if everything works out, we won't need to own a car. Like there will just be Ubers everywhere or the equivalent, and you'll just be able to call a car. And I would love to not own a car, right? I don't want a car. What I want is to get from point A to point B quickly. And that's the end result of that. Same thing with DVDs. Like I stopped buying DVDs years ago when Netflix came out, because then I could just get them on demand. And now I've stopped buying movies altogether because I can rent them or get them, download them or whatever. And so I think that that sharing economy is kind of. of a couple of, I think two or three of the things on our list here are a new entrance into that. Why don't you kick us off?
0: Okay. So one of the things that I am like, frankly, just sort of obsessed with right now is a new sharing service called La Tote, and it is a sharing service for clothes. And I will confess, I'm a little bit of a fashion diva. I definitely like to have some new clothes coming through pretty often. But I don't necessarily like accumulating a lot of things, and especially things like dresses and scarves and handbags. Like it's fun to have something that you wear a couple times, but I'm not going to wear it 80 million times. So La Tote is perfect for people like me and maybe some of our listeners or their partners in that it's basically clothing that you rent. You you make a wish list and you Put things in your closet and you choose things that you like and you're interested in, and they ship it to you overnight shipping and you wear it as long as you want it. And when you're done, you can put this is one of my favorite parts you can put like your dirty shirt in the bag and send it back, and they will wash it for you and then lend it to somebody else. And of course, if there's something that you totally fall in love with, you can buy. So I've loved it because it basically means I get new clothes every week for about $30 a month, which is way less than I would certainly spend on clothing if I wasn't using the service.
1: That's cool. And it's spelled L-E-T-O-T-E if someone wants to look it up. Yeah. And you know what, in our show notes, in case folks want to give you kind of a a hat tip, we should put, you do have an affiliate link, right? So that if someone clicks on it and signs up, you get a little bit of credit or something.
0: Absolutely. And because I've like just really genuinely loved the service, a number of my friends have done that for me or used the link that I've shared with them. And I've already gotten a couple free months of fashion. So it's awesome. That is cool. And there's the clothing is pretty high end and just is in good shape and looks really good. So another thing that we're beginning to use that is similar in the sense of it's a a shared economy item is Play, P-L-E-Y. And this has been a huge life changer for our small boys who are really into Legos. And what Play does is similarly, you pay a monthly fee and they will send you Lego sets. So you get one, you build it, you pack it all up, you send it back, and they send you another one. And I've loved this because certainly with the Lego sets, our kids will build them a couple of times. And then some of the pieces get kind of mixed in with the big, big pile of Legos. And then once that happens, the set doesn't really stand alone on its own. And as a mother, I am not going to be the person who's like sorting Legos into sets in the playroom. Not my thing. So play is a way to get a set that's all intact, play with it for a while, build it, take it apart, send it back and get another one. And it's just been great. The boys still have like their big pile of Legos that they can free play with and make make their own creations, which I think is really important. But the Star Wars sets are really popular around our house right now, and they're set, like super expensive to just buy them if you're collecting them. So this is a way that they can build and return.
1: So my other recommendation is not about the sharing economy. It's actually just about buying some interesting geeky stuff on the cheap. And it's a mobile app called Geek, where you can go to wish.com slash geek, and in essence, it's a lot of stuff that is made overseas, and they ship it directly to you in the U.S., and so the shipping time is 7 to 10 days or whatever, but I've found some really interesting I got a nice little a wooden watch. It's all, it's like a bamboo or some other type of wood with a nice leather band, and they have this list price of eighty bucks or whatever. But I think it was like twenty bucks or nineteen bucks, and they just have promotions going on constantly because the stuff is all limited run, and so it just kind of disappears at a certain point. So it's kind of whatever they have in stock, and I found it to be. A bunch of stuff that I frankly don't need, but it is interesting nonetheless. They have like some interesting smartwatches, Bluetooth smartwatches that are you know list at one, two, three hundred dollars, and they're able to sell them for thirty dollars and forty dollars. So there must be some type of overstock thing, and they have laser pointers and Bluetooth speakers and watches and chargers and all types of stuff. So I've been keeping my eye on that lately and always some cool stuff coming up on that. It's pretty limited. I mean, if you go to the page, there's 30, 40 items at a time and then they cycle through. And so far, the stuff I purchased has been decent quality. Like it's not cheap crap. It actually seems to hold up and seems to work. And probably my favorite thing at this point, aside from my watch here, is this iPhone zoom lens that kind of clips on the outside of an iPhone and allows you to kind of zoom in and get better range on an iPhone. So there's stuff like that coming up all the time. And I figured I'd mention it on the show.
0: Great place to get gifts for the geeks in your yeah. life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the last one that I wanted to mention that I'm really enjoying, of course, is also about clothes. And this is Thread Up. And this is a company that is basically like a high end thrift store online. So you take used clothing. They only do women's and children's clothing right now. Sorry, guys. But you take used clothing and they'll send you this really large shipping bag. You toss all your used clothing in. They mail it to them. They upload it, take pictures, sort of put it all online and sell it for you. And it's also a great place to find higher end items like got some really nice Lululemon, an expensive brand of yoga clothing or workout clothing that are sort of barely used that were not quite thrift store prices, but somewhere in the middle. So, again, it's a great way to reuse things without kind of circulating more material into the economy but still be able to find some cool stuff that's at a reduced price because it's gently used. And they seem to do a really good job of making sure that everything that they're selling is quality and in good shape. And, and I have just been shipping like all of last year's clothes from the boys up to, to be sold by them. And it saves me from trying to do consignment or, and it's a little bit more economically viable than just donating everything all the time. So there's some some cool ways that I think we are using technology to rethink our relationship with stuff, whether that's sharing stuff or reusing stuff or finding ways to get creative stuff on the cheap. Very nice. So let's shift gears maybe from <laughs> from our materialistic introduction to to something a little bit more soulful or deep. You as we mentioned in the intro are getting ready to go on your second retreat this year. And I guess I just am wondering what your plans are for this retreat.
1: Yeah, I was. I just started thinking about them this morning. I knew last weekend, like I said, that I was feeling this unrest about what's going on right now. Like I'm not in control of the direction that I'm headed, and there's everything's going up and to the right, meaning it's growing and things are going really well. But I feel like I don't have a grasp on almost what I should be doing right now. So this retreat is much less about personal things, because I feel like those are going quite well. And it's more about the shift with my role in my company. Because in essence, I, I brought someone on to help with marketing and customer success. Her name's Anna, and she's helping with drip, right? She's helping onboard people and taking a bunch of marketing tasks on. And frankly, she's, she's killing it, right? It's a good feeling to take a huge amount of work. Because I, in essence, I do multiple jobs, you know, like any founder, you do multiple jobs at your company. And I just kind of handed an entire job to her and many, many jobs. And so suddenly I have this big hole in my schedule each week. And she's taken so much off my plate that I need to evaluate what I should be working on now on a weekly basis. She's been with us about six weeks and things are going and we're expanding in terms of marketing efforts. And now I'm like, all right, so I need to be the vision and I need to push things forward and I need to map out what we're doing and I need to be a little bit higher level than I was two months ago where I was still in the trenches doing actual tasks. And so I think that's probably the the major focus of what I'll be thinking about over the next forty eight to seventy hours.
0: Are you assessing the direction of DRIP more broadly or you're you're more specifically looking at what your work life content is? Like how you're going to spend your time in a week?
1: I think it's more about how I'm going to spend my time because the direction of drip drip is going in the right direction. It's growing. Things are going well. Our efforts are working just kind of everything's firing in all cylinders right now. And that feels good, but I need to look at what does the next six months of drip look like? Where do I want it to be? What are the goals, the revenue goals? What features are we gonna dive into? What are the themes? There's often a bunch of just 200 feature requests in a queue. I I need to pull some themes out and map out and think through what are the most valuable ones to build with the, the limited development time we have. And that relates to the goals, the goals of where I want it to go and the direction. And then there are marketing efforts that I'm really excited about, and that I've never had the time to even think about or do like a big push into webinars and running contests and this type of stuff. I've never had the time because I haven't had kind of the manpower to do it, right? Because you can only do so much on your own. And so I'm mapping these things out and I'm pretty excited about them. And so needing to prioritize them and look hard at numbers. And then I need to come back. And this is not all on me, right? I mean, Derek's involved in this too and in the direction stuff. So I need to get him on board with that. But the retreat I think is really to get my headspace around where I want to see this company going over the next six months, probably. I'd like to say six to 12 months, but I think anytime I get out beyond six months, it's kind of a, kind of a crapshoot.
0: And it sounds like a lot of these relate to your own goals and your own interests at this point, reprioritizing how you want to spend your time. And I think you started out the year thinking that maybe this would be a year that you would revise your book or write a new book and now that you're six months in, is it looking like that's going to happen?
1: I don't think there's any chance. Okay. And I, pr- I probably need to come out. And I talked about that as a goal on Startups for the Rest of Us when we listed our goals at the start of the year. And six months in, it's just not the right choice. It's not the right choice to do this year. And it would take so much time away from something that is working really well. It's like pulling your foot off the accelerator when you're winning the race is how it feels.
0: So this continues to be the year of drip.
1: Yeah, it really does.
0: And so some of the point of the retreat is to flesh out more and more what that's going to look like in the next six months, what your tasks are.
1: Yeah, my tasks and the direction and the, I think just a high level map. There's no high level map. You know, we're playing kind of week to week right now. And I think it'd be nice to have a plan. I like having a plan that, that we're able to deviate from as needed, but... I think having a nice three to six month plan is pretty important.
0: Right, the map is not something you have to stick to rigidly, but at least to have a general direction in your head, then you know That's when right. you're deviating and why. And are there personal things you're gonna think through on this retreat?
1: None have come to mind. I sat down this morning to say, what am I really gonna think through? And the only things that have come out, the ones that I'm most anxious to sort out and the ones that I'm that are kind of stirring around are what I've mentioned already, frankly, is a lot more of the professional side of things. With that said, once I go on a retreat, I typically find that the 60 hours of just being alone and thinking pulls things out, right? That I may not have thought about in the the 10 minutes I sat down to outline this. So my guess is things will come up, probably revolving around how this summer I can help the kids get more involved in technology or coding or projects that we can do, whether it's Lego Mindstorm or a 3D printer that I have here. I kind of want to think about ways to structure that so that it's a recurring thing, that every Saturday we do it or twice a week we are. It's it's all of our time to do kind of technology stuff because I feel like it's too haphazard and I would like these guys to be more involved in this stuff.
0: It seems like it's a good time to reorient yourself to what you are thinking about as a parent, especially because you, you've you spent a lot, a lot of time with the kids lately, as I've been working on some other certification and training and activities and things like that. And so you've had the kids by yourself one weekend a month for the last year. And now that that phase is over, you can sort of recalibrate what time with them looks like and family time looks like.
1: Right. And I did get a, a win this week, a hat tip, from our eight-year-old we were trying to download sketchup which is 3d printing software it helps you design things to print on a 3d printer and you were supposed to fill out your occupation and he put his name in and then he pulled did the drop down list and he said is this say entrepreneur here does this say entrepreneur in the list and it didn't but that's what he wanted to choose and i was like yes that's awesome score one score <laughs> one for us like i've raised the skin right it was perfect just you by yourself yeah I'm joking. (laughs) The other thing that's interesting with Drip is it's growing fast and we're getting outside offers. We're getting funding offers pretty regularly from reputable people who are not just coming out of the woodwork. I have relationships with them. We have partnerships. And if I were going to take funding, I would consider taking it from people like this. And so makes these decisions difficult. This is something that I want to think through once again. And I think mapping out the next six to 12 months helps me figure out, is this even something to consider? I don't like to say no to everything new. That is my inclination in general, right? I like things that are known to me. And if things are working, why would I screw it up? frankly, if people were not coming out of the woodwork offering, I would not even be considering taking funding because it's not something that I want to do in particular. But I do want to give it some time to settle in and think about what that might look like and what it might mean just to evaluate it. And I think a retreat is the perfect time to do that because it's not something that I want to think about for 10 minutes. Because if I think about it for 10 minutes, my answer is no. But if I think about it for six hours, then I can map out why it's no. Right. Make all the reasons why don't I want to do this?
0: Or why it maybe yes. Exactly. You get to challenge your assumptions when you have the time to really kind of have a thought experiment. I mean, you don't have to make a quick decision, you don't have to decide in 10 minutes or 20 minutes or 30 minutes. You can take as long as you want to think through it hypothetically or philosophically without having to rush to a decision. And I think that's the magic of the open space that's present in a retreat.
1: That's right. And I like what you said. You you use the phrase challenge your assumptions. And that's exactly what I want to do. That's really I don't even want to think through should I take funding or not. I want to challenge the assumption that I shouldn't take funding because that is my default assumption. And I I just want to think through why that is. And frankly, take a bunch of notes in this notebook because this is going to come up again. Right. This is not going away. Um, A lot of these questions come up every 90 days, every six months and to have to think through them from scratch every time is pretty time consuming.
0: So it's almost like you want a roadmap to your approach to funding. Yep. And that's a decision tree, I'm sure. There's lots of potential routes and options, but you'd like to have a general direction kind of mapped out. And then with each situation or opportunity that comes up, you can see how it fits into the schema that you've already kind of created for that possibility. Right. So it's not a simple yes or no. There's a few if, thens or.
1: Yeah, that's right. It's interesting to twist the question and say, under what circumstances would I do this, right? Whether it's funding or whether it's any other big question. I've been, for the past like year or two, I've been trying to rephrase When when I have a default no, I try to rephrase the question. Under what circumstances would I do that? Because as a developer and kind of the analytical left brain person, I tend to take a question at face value. Should I do this or not? But that's not really the way the world works, especially if you have any type of of negotiating leverage or you have any type of asking power or anything. I mean, there's it's typically, you know, under what circumstances should you do something?
0: Default answers are helpful in the day-to-day, but I think the value of a retreat is to mess with the settings, so to speak, and see what life looks like if you reset the defaults and allow yourself the... Well, as you're talking about the possibility of thinking about things in a very different way to make sure that the defaults that you've been living under are accurate for you.
1: Yep, exactly.
0: Cool. Well, I think we should wrap up our conversation here. And then maybe next week when you get back, we'll do a little check-in with how the retreat went.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good plan. Okay. Looking forward to it.
0: Okay, so it's been a couple weeks since you went on your retreat. And I've noticed a lot more activity of you writing in the the black journal that you keep. So I know that the ideas are flowing. But we haven't really had a chance to sit down and talk in much detail about how your retreat went and what you took away. Maybe you could start by just kind of an overview of what you did on your retreat and how, how it went, how it felt. And then you could go into a couple specifics about what you took away from it.
1: Sure. Yeah, the retreat itself was pretty invigorating for me. I actually started this one off it was kind of a rough start. Normally I don't listen to anything when I'm driving out. I don't listen to music or audiobooks or anything, but for some reason I just couldn't get in the mindset of it. So, I put on music for a while. Then I had an audiobook I was trying to finish on a certain topic and I finished that, which is kind of against my my personal retreat approach. Like I'm supposed to maximize the time that I'm away from from you and the kids in order to kind of get the most out of it. But it just wasn't happening for me. So it took me several hours to get into it. The interesting thing is once I arrived, mean, you know, it was about a three hour drive, stopped at a coffee shop and got some got a cup of coffee and sat down to take notes in my notebook. And it just poured out of me like all at once, all of these thoughts of, of these questions of even questions like, what are we doing that's not working? What assumptions am I making that aren't working? If I were X, how would I approach this differently? X being someone who's very prominent and very experienced and skilled at marketing and growing things very quickly. And all these questions suddenly tumbled out that I realized had been on my mind for months, but I had not addressed them. From there, these subpoints started coming out of – I don't even know the numbers on this certain approach we were doing. Why don't I have numbers? I have a a spreadsheet about growth. I know where we want to go, but it was always in the back of my mind. The spreadsheet didn't quite add up. So I made a note right there. I'm going to fix this thing. Like Even if it takes me five hours, I'm going to fix that spreadsheet because it's so critical. So pretty soon I had this massive, it wasn't even a to-do list. It was a to-think-through list. And that pretty much set up the whole outline of my retreat. And so it was a nice turning point, And suddenly I was just taking pages of, of notes, essentially, in this black notebook.
0: It sounds like that open time really forced you to ask yourself a lot of questions. Like you were trying to make decisions and then realizing that there were some holes in the logic because you didn't have all the information available. And so you had to go back and ask, why well, don't I have these numbers? Why, why don't I know better? Why don't I have a better understanding of how this works?
1: That's right. As soon as I tar- started to dig in. The other thing is when I went on the retreat, I only had maybe two or three questions that I was going to ask. And I I knew that I was feeling unsettled about things, but I didn't really know why or what other questions I was going to ask. And in those first moments of sitting down is when they all kind of came out. And they came out faster than I could write. Like I was trying to take notes frantically just to capture everything so that I could then spend the next 48 hours circling back. I knew this was the time to to just kind of get the outline of the retreat on paper. And often that's not how it works for me.
0: Yeah, that's different than what you've said in the past.
1: Yep, that's different than what I've done in the past, but it just kind of worked out that way and I went with it. I think that's something, you know, if you're going to go on your own retreat to not necessarily force yourself into a a specific way of doing it. Because I think with some flexibility, this one worked out just as well as, as any of them have in the past. It
0: sounds like you did a great job of flexing with what you actually needed to do. You had this big goal of like, let's map out the next six months of drip, your Mm -hmm. goals, your direction. But you needed to be a little bit more nuts and bolts than that.
1: Yep. Yeah. In
0: order to figure out your goals, you had more specific questions to answer before that.
1: That's right. Because a lot of times that beginning of year retreat is the what should I do next one, right? It's like, you've just sold a business, you've just started a business, you're thinking about writing a book. Like, it's should I do things? It's very
0: blank canvas. It is
1: that requires a lot of thought and a lot of soul searching and figuring out what your next direction is. I don't necessarily have that right now because I'm not going to go off and do something else. And I didn't just sell a business. I'm knee deep, waist deep in drip. And I'm all in on this thing, you know? And so there weren't questions of what should I do, but it's like, how should we accomplish where I want to go? And that's what it turned into for me over the course of this thought process.
0: Were there directional things though that you did decide like, Did you think through the possibilities of adding new things or changing the direction of your activities? Were there any meta level directional things that you did or was it was it more nuts and bolts of our drip?
1: There was a little bit. I asked myself the question. I've kind of replaced myself as a marketer. Because I've, I've done a lot of nuts and bolts marketing over the past 10 years or whatever. And with the hire of Anna, who's helping with growth and customer success, I've moved a lot of that off my plate. And so the question for me is, okay, so now what? What should I be focused on? And so I have a bunch of bullets of, of things that I want to focus on. And then I looked at each of those and tried to figure out a map of what each of those look like uh, in terms of like product vision, company vision, growth vision, some implementation. You know, there, there's these other things that have always been on the back burner because I'm trying to run marketing campaigns to grow Drip. And these helped, I think having them on paper, I've referred back to them a number of times, and I think it's helping me think about my role better with Drip. It's certainly not done. That's There's not a period at the end of that sentence yet. I'm evolving into it, but at least as I'm kind of walking through the darkness, something's kind of starting to come out up ahead as some uh, illumination where I can say, okay, I think this is what my role is going to become over the next three to six months. I think, as you said earlier, this was more of a nuts and bolts retreat than I typically have, although I always dip into nuts and bolts naturally. as I start to go very high level and come down. I always want to see what does that really look like? And I kind of run numbers. So I might have, I want to, acquire an app and grow it to here, or I want to grow this app to here, or I want to do these things with the kids. And then I try to start figuring out, okay, what does it look like if I want to do that programming once a week with the kids? What day is it? What time is it? Is there something online I can purchase to help me with that? Like I do wind up digging into those things, even though it may not necessarily need to be retreat material. For me, it's a way of not just keeping it as this unknown thing and trying to put a little bit of structure around it, right? And get a little more solid and tactical with it.
0: So it's definitely not an unusual thing for you to take those grand ideas and then want to think through how to implement them. That's part of the retreat process for you.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: Well, any uh, new things or activities that we're going to see in the next six months in yeah. our in our family life or in your job life?
1: Yeah, I I really want to do more kind of technical things with the kids. We do a lot of games and I want to I really want to dive into programming a little more, but I realized like the summer's almost gone. We're leaving in a couple weeks to go to Europe for a month. And I don't know when I'm going to have time to do that. So I haven't figured out exactly how I'm going to execute on that, but that was one thing that I took away from this retreat for sure. And then the other big thing, I mean, there were a few things I took away um, that are in drip that are fairly specific, but I had a couple big revelations about some stuff that wasn't working that well and a way to shift it really quickly into a way that I think will work a lot better without a ton of work. And so it's that type of insight. Wow. Yeah. I know. It almost, that it almost sounds too good to be true. And it only happened, I mean, I was like seven hours into thinking about this when it hit me why are we doing it that way? It was just this, this new line of thinking. By this time, it was like, it was probably five in the afternoon. And I was now at the Shell Beach brew house, you know, and I was having a beer and eating a hamburger. And then it just clicked that I hadn't asked, why are we doing that? How is that converting? And how could we do it better? And it was a whole shift into thinking along terms of email marketing instead of, you know, this other approach. Those were the insights that I came back with that I was fired up to get started. And so it added a bunch of tasks to the list of kind of adjusting things.
0: And once again, it sounds like it was just an incredibly productive time that the kinds of things that you decided on and the directions that you shifted, you may have come to eventually, but you really needed this extended period of time to think through the details. Yeah. Sounds like another fantastic and helpful
1: retreat. Yeah, it was good. Two thumbs up. My only complaint was that I got sick. I came back after a day because I got so sick remember? That was, a yeah. real, that was a real bummer that hadn't happened before, but kind of knocked me off my game. Then I missed like the next day at work and stuff. I don't,
0: I don't know, think that was retreat related. It was not. I have no idea what the, <laughs> the story retreat was. retreat didn't make you sick. Okay. I know.
1: I know. But that was a bummer because I think I could have used the next day to kind of, I got all this down and then I didn't necessarily reflect a ton on it because I lost the second day of the retreat. Yeah. But since then I've been trying to spend some time to, to do that and then get it into the flow and the task list so I can implement on the things that, that I was thinking about.
0: Cool. I think I'm going to take my next retreat in Maui.
1: Yeah, that's a little bit further of a drive than I did. (laughs) You have a lot of plane time to get into the, the headspace.
0: And then I could just go surfing. That's right. In all seriousness, obviously, this is something that we've talked about quite a bit. This is our second episode pertaining to the topic of retreats. And both of us have found them to be incredibly personally and professionally useful. And if this is something you'd like to hear more about, definitely email us or tweet at us. And you can hear more about this topic in episode two of the Zen Founder podcast, where we start with a, a brief interview with Ruben Gamas about his experience doing retreats. And then we go into some more specifics about how we set retreats up and the ways that we organize our time and the kinds of questions that we ask.
1: And that email address is questions at zenfounder.com. And on Twitter, I'm at Rob Walling and Sherry is at Zen Founder.
0: Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of the podcast. In the meantime, feel free to check out zenfounder.com for lots of resources about the kinds of conversations that we have on the podcast.